Peace family, welcome back to the Campaign TV show. I am your brother, your host, Brother King Cam. And tonight, we're going to be talking about the ascension of black leadership. There's no... Nobody wins when the family feuds, family. So that's what we're going to be discussing tonight. So I want everybody to tap in. I need you to like. I need you to share. I need you to share this all over your platforms. For all of my Facebook family, I need you to share that all over your platforms. We want to get as many people in here tonight. As we mentioned before, we were supposed to have my sister Tamika D. Mallory in the building. She was going to be discussing with us a lot of the things that are going on in the black community. A lot of different stuff that we got to talk about tonight. I told y'all we was going to reschedule it. We got to reschedule for the night, family, so you don't want to miss this. All of the YouTube family, what I need you to do is I need you to like, I need you to subscribe to the channel, and I also need you to hit that bell so you can stay notified each and every time we drop a video so what i want everybody to do is i need you to get on your social medias and i need you to share this out share this out to as many people as possible while we are waiting for our sister to come on into the room we are going to go ahead and uh play you know we always got the up-and-coming artists on here so we're gonna go ahead and play a, a record from uh my brother ben x is called 400 years family make sure you tap in Years we've been lacking reactive and the more lacking we active we standing up now we up at it we at you now i go get it and stack it waking up now we don't need no more trapping because we know these niggas acting they talk about guns we know that they capping we know they got enough rapping 400 years we've been lacking reactive and the more lacking we active we standing up now we up at it we at you now i go get it and stack it waking up now we don't need no more trapping because we know these niggas acting they talk about guns we know that they capping we know they got enough rapping the youth don't need a stun double Introduce them to the real thing Gotta tell them about the hidden hand Real talk, that's the real pain Introduce you to the white man Made it, that's the real pain Then I let you see a white skin You can't see, they the same thing Get your bread, yeah, build your business Hidden hand in the same lane Keep a slaves in a small cell Tell a young nigga bang bang Shoot first, ask questions later Two brothers in the same game Fuck that like fuck crack Big dog like a great dame 400 years we've been lacking reactive Animal lacking reactive We standing up now we up at it we at you Now I go get it and stack it Waking up now we don't need no more trapping Cause we know these niggas acting They talk about guns we know that they capping We know they got it all rapping 400 years we've been lacking reactive Animal lacking reactive We standing up now we up at it we at you now I go get it and stack it Waking up now we don't need no more traffic Cause we know these niggas acting They talk about guns, we know that they capping We know they got it all rapping 400 years in a living hell Break chains, gotta break free Do for self like Elijah said Fire him before he fire me Eat good, he the man of God Ain't falling for the vaccine Up late, playing plotting freedom Still building, no caffeine Better tune in to Farrakhan Cause this here is a marathon Build now, getting real now Witness the fall of Babylon Black man, you the first man Getting tricked by mankind If we unite and rise up We'll win every damn time 400 years we've been lacking reactive Animal lacking reactive We standing up now, we up at it, we at you now I go get it and stack it Waking up now we don't need no more trapping Cause we know these niggas acting They talk about guns, we know that they capping We know they got it all rapping 400 years we've been lacking reactive 
Animal like and we act We standing up now, we up at it, we at you Now I go get it and stack it Waking up now, we don't need no more traffic Cause we know these niggas acting They talk about guns, we know that they capping We know they got it all rapping Pay me for my pain, yeah Pay me for my tears Pay me reparations for Yes, sir. Y'all heard it right there. That's my brother, brother Ben X 400 years. And I'm not even going to waste no time because our guest is in the building. I'm about to go ahead and bring her on. Like I said, I need y'all to like, share, subscribe, hit the bell, stay notified each and every time you drop a video family, but it's about to go up tonight. We got a lot that we're going to be discussing from the Derek Chauvin verdict. You understand to the continued police killings you know, to all of the things that are happening in our community and some solutions that we could bring to. And I wanted to talk to one of the heaviest voices in our community about it. That's right. I said I wanted to talk to one of the heaviest voices in our community as it pertains to activism and solutions that we as a people need to have, family. So listen, like I said, I need y'all to get on the horn with everybody that you know. Share this out so we can get as many people in here as possible. But without further ado, I would like to bring my sister to the stage who is an author, activist, you understand? Uh, Can you see me? Freedom fighter. Uh, I'd love to bring her to the stage right now. And this is Sister Tamika D. Mallory's sister. Could you just give them a brief introduction? Not too many people need one because you're, you're worldwide right now, but can you just give them uh, just a little mm -hmm. bit of an introduction? Well, first of all, thank you so much oh, for having me. We can't hear you. We can't hear you. Can you not hear me? Sound hasn't been together. Yeah, I can't hear you. Sure, it ain't on my end. Okay, hold on, hold on. Say something now. See. Okay, no, I, I, I got you. I got you. It's can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. I think it was on my end. So, okay, good. I'm glad you're the one with the technical stuff because I'm not technical at all. So, if it was me, I would be messing up. So I am in the process, um, Brother Cam, of trying to post the flyer. Just ran in the door, as you know, from visiting my mom. And I want people to know that we're on. So that's why you see me looking down at my phone, because I want um, all of our good brothers and sisters to know that they can come and check us out right now. But it's really, 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 really super dope to be with you. I'm so sorry that in the last um, week, we haven't been able to do this conversation as we planned. Um, you know, I uh, always, you know, I've always appreciated you, your commentary um, and your candor. Um, and of course, you know, I appreciate the support that you continuously given to us as we are all out here really working towards a more just and, and, and equal society, if you will, more equitable society. And so um, it's really good to spend some time this evening. It, there's not a lot happening in this moment. So I feel like we can really do a deep dive on a number of issues. Um, and, you know, it feels like home to be with you. So thank you so much for inviting me to this conversation. 
Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I'm humbled and honored to have you on the platform and on the show uh, to discuss a lot of these different things that's going on. Um, so anybody that has been watching uh, the Campaign TV Show podcast and been uh, just tapped into everything that we're doing, you know that we always uh, talking about the culture, uh, you know, current events that's happening in our community, also about solutions and how we can go about changing our current condition. You know, so again, I wanted to bring my sister on because I felt that it was necessary. And I felt like we needed to have a discussion because what I was seeing uh, that was happening among those who have influence was that we was talking about a lot of everything else and not talking about what we need to do to help our people and how we can change uh, our condition. So, uh, so you know, you first me. and foremost, I want to talk about how, you know, you just really got back uh, from Minnesota uh, yeah. and actually being boots on the ground. Uh, during the uh, Derek Chauvin uh, verdict uh, for our dear brother George Floyd. Uh, so could you just talk about the experience, what you saw out there? What was the, uh, you know, the vibes from the people? What was the energy out there as you was, uh, as, as you was out there doing that? So, um, you know, this last week or so, maybe, um, you know, almost two weeks has been pretty traumatizing. Uh, I have to be honest in saying that it's been a rough time because not only did you have the George Floyd verdict coming at the beginning of the week, um, you also had within the same day, obviously, that uh, the verdict was announced, you also had the shooting of and killing of Micaiah Bryant in mm -hmm. Columbus, Ohio. And two days after the verdict, we went to the funeral of Dante Wright. Um, and so, and now we see there is another brother, I think, um, Andrew Brown, um, who was killed in North Carolina. So it's been right. a lot of trauma. And then once we returned to New York, which we had to return quickly to attend the services for DMX. And so right. for two days, um, you know, my son and myself uh, spent, you know, with DMX's family. And it's been just a lot of trauma. I mean, you're going from families to, from family to family that's dealing with different types of um, trauma and, and crises, but nonetheless, we're all one people. And when we're hurting um, and when there are, you know, things like, uh, you know, sudden death, the sudden death of DMX, who um, was certainly a giant in our community, people um, love DMX for his transparency as well as his art and even for his pain. Um, and then you, and then you have a young brother, um, you know, with this beautiful little baby, two year old baby being killed, watching that on video, you know, watching, look, you know, seeing Micaiah laid out on the ground after she's been shot and knowing that there's so much trauma involved in her life and the end of her life, how she came to that moment. Right. And then, of course, um, you know, sitting with George Floyd's family literally for days. There were it was days that we were there with them every day, going to dinner. You know, seeing each other, sitting in the um, in the room where they watched the trial inside the court. Um, and there's a lot of anxiety associated with all of that. You know, a, a whole lot. Um, I would say that the energy in Minneapolis um, was at first people were honestly, and I think this wasn't just Minneapolis. I think all over the country, mm. people were prepared probably to give it all up. Like they were ready. I had doctors and 
um, you know, other lawyers and people calling me saying, you know, I'm not going to work. You know, if this verdict doesn't go right, like, I don't know what I might do, but I know that I'm not, it's not going to be business as usual. And I was having to really talk people off the ledge and help them understand how, you know, putting themselves in harm's way was not going to ultimately get us justice, you know, and, um, and, and, and it was so it was a real traumatizing time. And, and I watched George Floyd's family having those same conversations with their loved ones. So you can imagine that the energy and the air was thick in Minneapolis. It was thick. You know, there were people who, you know, really, um, uh, unfortunately, and I've been saying that it's really unfortunate that we know what the verdict should have been, but we weren't necessarily um, you know, we weren't expecting, not expecting, but we weren't, we were expecting, I think, but we weren't sure, you know, we weren't sure. We were not confident. That's the word I'm looking for, that there was absolutely going to be a guilty verdict. And I think, you know, um, that tension is something that no community other than the black community has to deal with. Right. Wow. And, and, and it's, and it's way too much. So that was the energy. And then uh, thankfully the verdict was a good one. And so people kind of like let their, let they let it breathe on one side, but they still had a major funeral taking place for Dante right just two days later. And I think the message is that the, the struggle continues, that we don't get to sit back. We don't get to stop. We don't get to take our feet off the gas. We have to keep pushing um, because they haven't stopped killing us. Absolutely. And I mean, you brought up, you know, several uh, key points. I wanted to uh, really hone in on the fact that, like you mentioned, it's a continued cycle of trauma. And yeah. we know um, from our study of history and our sojourn here in America uh, that we have not had a pause or a time for repair or a time for reconciliation from the continued trauma from our getting off of the slave ships 465 years ago and mm -hmm. there has been a continuation of their trauma up into 2021 so yeah. uh you know coming from your uh perspective what do you think is uh you know some really really uh actionable steps that we can take where mm -hmm. we can stop this because it can't be good obviously it can't be good psychologically for a people for a community for a family black women who are constantly losing their children Absolutely. I mean, we got We have to think about that. You have black women who are constantly thinking about every time their son walks out the door, every time their daughter goes out the door, that they may not come back. And it's on another level today. It's not even, oh, they might be a victim of uh, random gun violence. They might be a victim of a robbery, but they may be pulled over for speeding. They may have not been able to uh, not, not have paid attention to the registration, right? And the registration may have uh, lapsed or they may have had something in their rearview mirror or they could have switched lanes uh, inappropriately yeah. and not made a signal. And that could be the last day on earth. So, you know, what are some actionable steps that we can really begin to take, you know, uh, in order to curb this thing? I don't know why I'm not doing this thing here. Okay. So great question. Um, I think that there's always a two-pronged approach and, a, and, a, and sort of a two-way strategy. Um, you know, I don't believe in protests without policy. So I am one who, um, I organize people, of course, on the ground. 
Um, we want to make sure we bring awareness to issues. We can't have our voices silent while we're being killed, while we're being abused, while we're being attacked, while we're being oppressed, right? And so I do believe heavily in protests. And you know, I can plan a protest in the back of my mind in the middle of the night, you know, in the dark. I, you know, I know how to do that well. Um, but I also do not believe that the job is complete if that protest does not turn into the same level of energy towards political power. So I, you know, obviously think that and we'll circle back around to how these things come together. But I also understand the importance of uplifting and sustaining our own in our own communities, 100%. Obviously, I support Black-owned businesses. Um, I'm wearing Black-owned products today. This is my girl, Marissa Farrow. You know, all, all the things. Um, okay. and, I, and I support um, the development of Black-owned businesses because I know that if we don't have the economic engines, one, and two, the ability to hire our own and to um, uplift our own communities, then right there, it's a big, big failure on our part because we can, in fact, open businesses. And, you know, I, I watch uh, brothers and sisters within the nation talk all the time about sustainability and creating your own um, wealth and, and, you know, and, 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 and pooling resources together to be able to build within your own community. So I 100% support that. And again, we'll circle back. I also believe in the development of programs in our communities that does not um, allow for police and community contact as much as we see, right? And so from my position, um, I have worked with some of New York's most incredible anti-violence advocates who literally bring down violent interactions in communities without police even having to be involved. In fact, police officers are being trained daily in New York to back up and allow brothers and sisters who look like the people from the community to come in and do the work of dealing with whatever crises might be happening at the time. In New York, we call it the crisis management system. Um, it's a system that I worked with Erica Ford of Life Camp um, in Queens and brother A.T. Mitchell of Brook, um, Brooklyn Man Up in Brooklyn, we established um, the crisis management system together. The brains of it in terms of the plan came from Erica Ford's mind. And I did the work of bringing advocates along, elected officials and others to be able to fund the model. The model basically allows for, and it really is, it really is, is surrounding the idea that people who are formerly incarcerated, People who have been shooters, have potential to be shooters, people who have dealt with conflict and, and crisis management, social workers, um, you know, a, a spiritual um, developers, if you will. Um, all of those individuals make up the crisis management system um, to be able to intervene in our own communities and reduce the amount of police that we have to be in contact with. So when I think about what needs to happen, I think about it in these three what these three things, sort of the 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 the, um, the duality, the 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 two piece of it is how can we do for our own, and how can we push 
for the policy that is necessary so that there's actual consequences and accountability if our communities are harmed by, by police and other institutions. So those are the two areas that I focus on, but in three different parts, economic development, how do we develop programs and, and intervening in our own issues within our community, and then, of course, making sure that we pass things like the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. I think all these things play together, and I'll you know say this really quickly. You don't get um, programs like Erica Ford's program without having policy put forward that one um, takes some of our tax dollars and recycles it back into our communities, right? right. Um, it, that's one. That too allows for uh, police officers to understand that their job is not to come into our communities and deal with fights like what we saw with Micaiah Bryant. Like we we know how to disarm right. people and particularly young people within our communities. These things are policy issues. The the way in which we are approached, right? So I don't believe that a police officer would have shot a white girl. Uh, four times center mass. I don't believe that. I don't see any evidence of that happening. But I can tell you that within just Columbus, Ohio, in the last five years, there's been at least 30 shootings, including a 13-year-old, another 16-year-old. So this is a regular occurrence for those of us who want to try to make the excuse that because she had a knife, it made the situation different. Well, it's actually not different because they are operating under this same, you know, show up and shoot first or show up with force after force after force and a little more force on so many levels. And so I wanna see that there is actual policy put into place that allows us to manage our communities um, more, which is why we call for defunding the police. And I know that's not a term that people like to hear, but we can talk more about that. Um, I believe that the, the, the policy that happens has to also ensure that again, there are actual consequences put in place like ending qualified immunity so that we as citizens can sue a police officer directly if right. they abuse, harm, or kill someone in our communities. So policy, economic development, and our own programming that even provides things like midwives who are able to help us with childbirth because we see that infant mortality rates and maternal death is increasing so much in our communities because we don't have people who actually are trained and conscious and actually love black people working with us. So I would say that's a large scope, but at any point that you want to drill down in each point, we can do that. Absolutely. And I mean, um, you know, you touched on a lot in that. Uh, so we're going to definitely drill down on a couple of <laughs> different points because a lot of those points we echo. Right. Um, you know, and I wanted to go ahead and continue to move in this direction, because as you mentioned, a lot of us, you know, was unsure about the verdict, unsure about what was really, uh, you know, going to happen uh, with this whole situation, even though we saw that this was something that was shared all over the world and that Derek Chauvin you murdered our brother, you know, and the tape was, the video was shown all over the world. And 
a lot of people were saying that there was this was justice. And I want to say to all of those who are watching now, all of us are not going to agree on each and every point. Absolutely. You know, because Absolutely. I don't agree with every point that, and I'm not talking about in this conversation, but some of the but things that be. we all talk about, right? We don't agree on those. And I know if you watch my commentary, you know that some of it's polar opposite of some of the things that you say. But that does not mean that we cannot have a civilized, beautiful conversation with respect for one another about those different points and settle on the best thing and the best solution for our people because there's right. truth in all of it, right? So I wanted right. to go ahead and say that because there are a lot of people who tend to think that if you don't agree, then you can't have a conversation and right. that everybody has to have the same uh, idea point by point, right? So I wanted to go ahead and get that out the way. But also, uh, you know, that was good that you talked about the crisis management thing because that was something that I wanted, you know, that I was thinking like, okay, there has to be some type of mechanism that we can put in place uh, to, to happen immediately because, you know, like I said, policy change is beautiful. Uh, you know, police reform of what, what a lot of us has been trying to do is a beautiful thing. But the, the problem with that is as we were going through the Derek Chauvin uh, trial, they killed another brother within the week of the trial. Then right a few hours before the verdict was announced, there was a shooting as we just talked about Micaiah Wright in, uh, uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. So we have this stuff happening as there's as there being a trial on uh you know police domestic terrorism. You know brother 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 Rizzo had to put us on game when you dealing with uh situations like this is not it's not police brutality. The mm -hmm. proper uh terminology for this is domestic terrorism because Terror. people right. are supposed to protect and serve uh, and supposed to work for the community. But what they are doing is they're terrorizing the community and they're on a domestic level. So we have to understand that and educate the people on that form. So could you talk um, more about uh, just some of the different, um, just some just some of the different things that were, uh, that you were seeing in Minnesota as it pertains to moving on into the next direction? Because a lot of people were saying that Minnesota is a military zone right now. Mm -hmm. It's literally militarized out there, mm -hmm. you know? So it, what are, what are it, the people saying? It's not, it's not just Minnesota, right? Like it's happening all over the nation where there are actual laws being passed right now where, where governors are signing laws that allow them to mow down protesters. It allows them to, uh, you know, have stricter guidelines for protests when they erupt and when there is there are uprisings. Um, and, and you're right, in Minneapolis, the way in which we had to go inside of the courthouse, the way that George Floyd's family actually entered the courthouse was through a maze that had been designed, which actually had fencing on top and on the sides as if you were going to, you know, what we see on for prisons, right? right. That's that is. That's the setup and all the boarding and the, the, the boarding that we see in places like Minneapolis exists for multiple reasons. It exists because a pandemic has been poorly managed, um, you know, and that started with the previous administration um, and, and has continued in terms of 
uh, how poor our country, just in terms of the systems as they exist. We're not even talking about racism for now. We're not talking about what happens to black people. I'm talking about in general, American systems are failing so bad that businesses have been are gone. Things have been gutted. I'm long, long term businesses that have been there for years, 40 years, 50 years are gone because we were not prepared for a pandemic to hit us in the way in which it did. And therefore, you have so much loss and so much desperation. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is we're living under an occupation in many ways in our communities of police who have military equipment and are prepared to kill people who are simply saying, I just want to live. We just want to live. We're not even out here saying we want to get revenge and we want to kill cops. We want to kill, you know, go out, go run up in, in, in buildings and take what belongs to us. We're saying we just want the same discernment, the same patience, the same attitude that was used to deal with the insurrectionists who ran up the side of the walls at the Capitol on January 6th, put hung nooses outside the building and 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 did you know killed people and everything else that happened there. We want the discernment that you give them because we don't even act like that. Like when would Absolutely. we ever? You know what I'm saying? So we, we want, and that's why I stand up for, and I, and I am going to continue to speak on behalf of Micaiah Bryant, because I know that there is another way that we can go about policing communities or public safety. Let me not even use the term policing because I hate that. I, I dislike that term um, to go about policing, but this militarized style of Dealing with our communities is not new. It's not new. It's been going on for a long time. We marched from New York City to Washington, D.C. Um, in 2015, carrying three bills. And one of them was to end the militarization of police in communities. Because after we saw what happened with the um, Mike Brown protest, in um, Ferguson, and then of course the George Floyd protests that happened in New York and across, where you know, across the, the country. What we noticed was that police officers were showing up with military tanks, like real live military equipment, on the corner of 125th Street and Lenox Avenue to stop protests instead of challenging, um, uh, indicting arresting the one or two officers that are responsible for the brutalization of people in our communities, the way in which they chose to deal with it was to criminalize and militarize ourselves, the protesters. And that's why we, um, again, we believe that in two particular uh, legislative packages, one being um, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, but then also in the BREATHE Act, and I support both of them. To your point, we do not have to be so far apart that we can't have healthy debate about these issues because what I believe, and, and I have people around me, I keep a lot of folks around me who are young, um, you know, more radical than me, 
Um, you know, I talked to Reza. I talked to, you know, I, I talked to a bunch of folks all the time who we are on 50 different sides of the issue, but we have one goal. And so long as we handle one another with respect, and as long as we can feel safe in environments to have these conversations, I think we can, get, we can come together and find a, an equal medium. So, or a medium, a, a medium place to, to land. So the BREATHE Act is much, it pushes the needle much more, right? It, it, it has within the legislative package, more opportunity for consequences and a change to the system. There, I used to use the word reform a lot. In my book, State of Emergency, that is being released on May 11th, I talk about reform. And that was a little bit before I, I came to the realization that we can't reform this system. It can't be reformed. Okay. It's that, it, it, that, I think that's out the window. You probably will never hear me talking about reform again. Um, I have finally detached myself from the concept that we can reform systems that have been in place for hundreds of years that were literally designed to oppress us. There's no reforming them. They have to be completely overhauled. They have to be torn down and they have to be rebuilt. And it's going to take um, a, a very courageous bunch to make that happen. And the Breathe Act, quite frankly, leans closer to that. It leans closer to real serious overhauls. The George Floyd Justice and Policing Act is not bad. It actually includes a number of things, a number of policies um, that will help us to deal with reform in some ways, but also even a you know the needle goes a little bit further than reform. Um, I'm I'm I want both things to happen. I believe that the justice uh, that the George Floyd Act is more likely to happen now because it's already been moving through the Senate and through Congress for a while, and it also had. Um, uh, Corey uh, Booker and Kamala Harris and others who were the co-signers for the bill, you know, since George Floyd's passing. And so I believe that it is something that can happen quicker. As a part of that, looking at how police officers are militarizing our, uh, our streets and our communities, it doesn't go far enough. That's something that we have yet to um, we we have yet to we have yet to tighten the reins. We have yet to begin a real deep dive conversation. And when I say we, I'm talking about the people who are in positions of power. They are afraid of police. That's just the facts. Like, and that goes in my judgment all the way from um, I don't care how nice Joe Biden speaks because he does, you know, say some pretty powerful things. Uh, at times about how he feels, you know, he, I don't, he said something last week that I thought was pretty good, you know, but I don't really care about what he says. I'm hold on a second. I'm just trying to um, turn on this. Do not disturb. So that it's not, um, I got it. So, you know, I don't care what he says. I'm more concerned with the action. And what we know is that to date, there has been a failure from this administration to move on um, on on the on the the attitude, the tune that he seems to be taking. There's been no real action on it, and I know that that is because the police unions 
and police officers in general have a grip on elected officials that is very, very dangerous and is suffocating to Black America. Um, and so I don't think that the courage to deal with militarization has really uh, come up within our, our, um, our, the body of those who are in positions of power. And, I, and that's why I believe that organizing on the ground can never stop because the only thing that moves the needle or swings the pendulum is when we are on the front lines calling for change. That is what changes the temperature and gets people to come along on the journey. And so that's something that I think all of us have to, I mean, I think, let me say this and, and, and I'll be done with this point. The fact that governors across the country are signing bills every single day that further militarizes our communities, clearly we need to be paying attention. And a lot of people don't even know it's happening because you know, if you don't pay attention to Republicans all day, you, you might not get the news that they signed the bill, right? The media is not spending its time showing you and exposing what is going on within all of these departments and depending on who you're following and how deep you are into the political landscape, you could be living in a community and not even know that your local elected official is supporting a person who supports the governor that is signing these types of bills into law. Okay. Okay. So first what I want to do is I want to uh, thank everybody who is in the building tonight. I want you to like, share, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure you share this on all your platforms, family, and welcome <laughs> to the Campaign TV podcast. I am your brother, King Cam, and I'm sitting here with my sister, uh, Tamika D. Mallory, and yeah. we're having a very, very beautiful uh, conversation uh, concerning the community and how we can move forward. Now, in the last, uh, you know, uh, segment, if you will, what you just said, there were multiple things that I wanted to dive into oh. uh, because you talked about, uh, you know, policy change, and then you talked about the grip that the uh, police officers and that the uh, law enforcement has on these politicians. And there are a couple of different points that I wanted to make. Uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, you're talking about a different type of leadership that has to come into existence. Absolutely. Now, what we see into what we see in a lot of our in our community is that we don't have enough of us really being involved in our local politics, our state politics, or uh, all the way up to the federal level, but really starting with local and state local politics, leadership. you know, so as we start on that level, we have to become more engaged, more civically engaged in our communities, right? Because we cannot continue to expect those who have, who don't have it in them to give us justice, to think about us and have the best interests of heart in us, for us. So that pertains to our schooling and how the public school systems are being ran, Obviously, the uh, militarization of the police and community affairs and all other things that affect your community on a local level, you cannot leave it to those who have not been a part of your community. So you have the ability, most people who are in these positions stay in these positions for years and years and years because nobody challenges them. Nobody Absolutely. runs for these positions. So they just sit there and they're allowed to operate in a way that's only beneficial for themselves. So it's not beneficial for the community. And then those people who are from that area, from that neighborhood, they're not on the school board. They're not going to the PTA meeting. So then you have outsiders that come 
and then they give their perspective, but they didn't grow up there. They don't know what the conditions are like there to know how to handle the people and what needs to be done. So that's number one. We have to put in a new leadership because when you go to the federal level, you have 70 and 80 year old people who have no connection to what's going on in today's world. They have no connection to what's going on in today's world. So when you see them fumbling up there on Capitol Hill, when you see them sending people $1,500 stimulus checks, $1,400 stimulus checks, as if that's going to fix the economic uh, oppression and and the societal ills, the economic ills that we facing on a daily basis, that is not even sane for them to have a discussion about it and be going back and forth over it as if that's a way to correct the problem. My problems are so much deeper than that. And it was written in the coroner report uh, about how some of the things that affected us from slavery, right, have affected us uh, up until this point. So now you have to have a new mindset of individuals that come in, that go into politics that are unapologetically uh, non-afraid and unapologetically be one. I have to say that. You have to be yeah. black first. You but have you to be black first. You can't first. go away from that point. So keep fin- finish it and then we're going back to it. Go ahead. Okay. So you have to be uh, unafraid. We cannot continue to have this scared leadership, no spine, weak backbone leadership that comes before us during the campaigns and during election time, give you promises, tell you this, tell you that just to get you to the polls. And then when they get there and get to office, there's nothing done. Now I am, I was a hundred percent and am a hundred percent behind our brother ice cube. When he was saying that we needed to hold the feet to the fire for all candidates, not when they get to office, but before they get to office to say, this is what we need. And when you look at other ethnic groups, they have demands in place that they expect of politicians or they could care less about what the politicians doing because they have an economic base in place for them so that they can operate without having to rely on those public officials. So you have to have a different type of leadership that comes into politics. We cannot shy away from that. You know, it's good to be entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, and, and you want to own your own business and you want to do, uh, you know, all these different things. Uh, but the reality of it is if you want to see the change, you have to be that change. You have to get into office. You have to run. These, these positions are not, you know, it's not like you have to have some giant resume in order for you to get into these positions, but you have to be in the race. If you're never in the race, then you're never going to have the ability to make that change. So, but it starts with the mindset because a lot of our politicians who are in are operating under a different type of mindset. They're operating under uh, the same stranglehold that the police fraternal order has on a lot of these politicians because mm-hmm. it's not only law enforcement but you're talking about the unions as you mentioned right. and in particular the police fraternal order who says that they don't believe that any of uh, these public executions were the fault of the police officers they're riding with the police officers all the way 100 so we have to be able to uh, address that and uh, move forward in that message to as, as a unified front to say, listen, we're not going to continue to allow that to happen. And then another point that I want to make. You can't go away from that one because I got to get in on that one. Okay, this. go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So quick things. One, I would challenge, though, that these other communities do care about the elected officials. They actually vote in blocks 
and they maintain a certain level of power and relationships with these elected officials that help them to maintain power in their communities, right? So when we talk about them having businesses and you say, okay, well, they have their own economic engines and therefore they're not as concerned with what's happening with the elected officials. That's true, but only partially. They actually are very, very clear about who they want to run, who they are going to support and what they expect in return, which is the support necessary for them to be able to build the businesses, to have economic engines, and also to have schools, particularly where they can educate their own children. It is very, education is very, very segregated. These communities Absolutely. are very clear about who they want to live in their neighborhoods, what type of loans people can get or not in their neighborhoods, whether or not people can, uh, can purchase homes, all of that Absolutely. is very much set up and the elected officials who work for them, right, are, are helping them to maintain that power. So that's no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because uh, that was a pivot for me. Right. Because we was talking about that. A lot of the grassroots uh, black uh, media, you know, we were discussing that if, we, right. if we're if we're going to go ahead and say, OK, let's elect somebody in. Uh, into office, then there has to be a consensus among us as a people as to who we're going to get go. behind, there who are go. we going to fund? Because these other communities pool the money together That's and true. talk to the politicians and say, hey, listen, if you want this check, then this is what we need in order to get you to where you need to where you need to be. And for Absolutely. some odd reason, people love to say this term and throw this term around where well, black people aren't monolithic. Okay, well, absolutely. That's completely true, but I always love this analogy. See, in Black Panther, Wakanda is not monolithic neither, but they and they have different tribes within Wakanda that sit on the council, sit on the board that discuss what's best for Wakanda. That's a perfect example for us to learn from, not to just get behind because it's a black movie and it right. had our brother, you know, rest in paradise, Chad, uh, Chadwick Boseman in it. But also the fact that that's a, a beautiful model for us to be able to use because there's people from this ideology. You have the Hebrew Israelites and the Moors and the nation of Islam, and you have civil rights ideology. You have all of this different stuff that can come to the table who all have truth and all have answers. And then we can discuss and deliberate. And then after we come out of that back room, figuring it out, arguing, debating, whatever it is that we have, to, we do, have to do, once we come yeah. out of that, we yep. got a solid decision on how we're going to move forward on behalf of the whole. That's yes. how we have to That's how we have to start to move. We can't be operating over here and you doing your thing over there and then you operating over here and then you doing your thing over there. And when we do that, we're fragmented and we have no political power in that sense. And then some would also say that because a lot of candidates are in one party or in another party, that we should, we are better off, in my opinion, with an independent candidate. You mm. cannot have ties to either party because both parties have an agenda. Now, the agendas may be somewhat different, 
but for the most part, they have an agenda. We need an independent party, an independent candidate that we get behind. We're 40 to 50 million people in America, a nation within a nation, as the most honorable Elijah Muhammad has said. So when you have that many people, then we have the ability to take our money, our resources, our degrees, because we got all the degrees. We got the bachelor's, the master's, the PhDs, we doctors and professors and all of that stuff. So we got everything that we need mentally, intellectually, understanding that we are about the ninth richest nation when we pool our resources together and we spending it in everybody else's community. So if we just take that and put that back into our community, as Dr. Martin Luther King said, withdraw our economic support from others and start to support ourselves, then we can do as those other communities have done, pick our candidate, just go ahead and vet them and then go ahead and push them into the position that we want to push them in. But I also want to talk about this as well, because we talk about the policy change and pushing for these different, uh, these different bills. But I also have to say that we have to look at the hypocrisy in government. Mm -hmm. We have to look at the hypocrisy in government and understand those who are in elected positions in government, Mm -hmm. come from the same fabric of America that brought us here in slavery. Mm -hmm. So we do have a few black faces that are in uh, as elected. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I want to play this clip, right? Because my brother, brother, Dr. Umar was on earlier. Yeah, I can hear you. It was on early on the breakfast club and he made a very, very solid point about uh, the Biden administration and the Congressional Black Caucus. So I want to I want to play that clip and then I want to hear your commentary afterwards, sis. So let me go ahead and pull this up because I think this is important that we needed to hear because brother had a uh, had beautiful points for this right here. So those that are just mm -hmm. tuning in, I want you to make sure that you like, share, subscribe and that you uh, staying tapped into everything that we got going on, but I'm talking to my sister, uh, Tamika D. Mallory, and, and we having a beautiful conversation on what needs to happen in our uh, community. All right, so let me go ahead and play this. Let me know if y'all can hear this. Coming out of the Oval Office from President Biden to protect black people from police. Look what he's doing with the anti-Asian hate. President Joe Biden signed an executive order that is exclusive to Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. I don't have a problem with that. But if you can protect the Asian American and Pacific Islander from violence, why can't you do the same thing for black people? They've been dealing with violence for one year as a result of COVID. That's what it's called, the COVID-19 hate crimes bill mm -hmm. to protect Asians as a result of discriminatory treatment that they've been dealing with for how long? One year. Black people have been catching hell for 400 years, and we have yet to get an executive order from Joe Biden to protect us from the police and also Charlemagne and Envy to further highlight the racism of American government. The transgender executive order is not for people of color. It is not for minorities. It is not for disadvantaged communities. Guess who it's for? Transgender, the anti-Asian Pacific Islander hate uh, executive order against hate is not for people of color. It's not for minorities. It's not for disadvantaged Americans. It is exclusively and only for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Why am I bringing that up? Because when Barack Obama was in office, all these Negroes running around screaming for Obama, I still don't know why, was said that Barack Obama can't 
do nothing specifically for black people because this is America. And when we got the Civil Rights Bill in 64 and the Voting Rights Act in 65, they included two words at the end of that. One was gender and the other was sexual orientation. So the Civil Rights Bill did not only apply to blacks. It applied to everybody. So if you have to make laws for all Americans, Charlemagne and Envy, how do you explain the fact that the Asian Americans got a law just for them? Yesterday, the United States Senate, in historic precedence, passed the anti-Asian hate crimes bill at a vote of 96 to 1. Now, to give you an idea of what that means, the Senate, they don't agree on nothing. The Democrats and Republicans, they filibuster each other to death. But yesterday they didn't. 96, only one person voted against the anti-Asian hate crimes bill. So can I ask you a question? If the Senate was able to pass the anti-Asian hate crimes bill, Charlemagne and Envy, 96 to 1, with almost no opposition, why is it that the Emmett Till lynching bill still has not been approved? Why is it that they have been over 200 different anti-lynching bills introduced in the U.S. Congress, 200, and not one of them has been approved by the U.S. Congress yet. But the first ever Asian bill goes through on the first try. Mm. Look at the racism. Look at the discrimination. Look at the bias. Look at the inequity there. And why are they catering to the Asians? You know why? Because the amount of white people in this country is shrinking. That's right. And whenever the amount of white people in America shrinks, America looks to find other white groups or other minority groups that they can build an alliance with to protect their power and their interests. Who better than the Asians? They're just as conservative politically as many middle-class white Americans. They are just as economically comfortable as many middle-class white Americans. They don't like black people just as much as many middle-class white Americans. Not to mention that this can go a long way towards building relationships with Asian countries on the continent of Asia that America can't afford to build an alliance with Russia. Let us be clear about something. The continent of Asia is a big problem for the U.S. government. You got three power nations on that continent. You got Russia that America can't stand. You got China that America can't control. And you got India, which is one of the fastest growing populations, and it is quickly becoming the IT giant of the world. Kamala Harris is not the vice president by accident. Kamala Harris is the vice president on purpose because America needed to send the nation of India an olive branch to improve their relations because America can't afford for India to get tight with China or Russia. This is politics. And they're going to use the Asians, okay, as probationary whites. They're going to upgrade them to probationary white status to make sure that they stay on the side of the white man and not go on the side of the black man. This Asian agenda is a distraction from the issues that are affecting black people. How do you sign an executive order for the transgenders, executive orders for the Asians? He has signed nothing for black people. And mind you, Envy and Charlemagne, there have been at least five notable police terrorism cases on Joe Biden's watch. You had the 16-year-old sister who was shot four or five times with the knife. Mm -hmm. And I don't want nobody to tell me that the police were justified. We're going to get to that. We, okay, we, we, we get to I got that. you. But yeah. the five, her. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, Officer uh, Nazario, 
the African Latino brother who was harassed by the police mm-hmm. in his car. Mm-hmm. The lieutenant. You had the yeah. brother, 17-year-old boy, murdered by the police in the bathroom Anthony Thompson. in Knoxville, Tennessee. Anthony Thompson Jr. The other brother in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, who was shot yep. in the execution of a warrant. And I'm missing some. Oh, Dante Wright, who mm-hmm. was murdered, and she thought it was a taser. Tasers don't look like guns. Tasers don't feel like guns. They don't weigh the same as guns. And there's no way under heaven you accidentally thought a taser was a gun. But again, five cases, and the president still has not acted. The same president that told the Breakfast Club that if you black and don't vote for me, you ain't black. Well, why haven't you done anything for black people yet, Joe Biden? And don't forget about the George Floyd Policing Act. Oh, that still hasn't passed yet. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But you pass some bills for everybody else, but nothing for black people. And part of this is our fault because we didn't make no demands on Joe Biden before he got elected. We didn't make no demands on Joe Biden before he got elected. And you know why Joe Biden ain't going to do nothing about police genocide? Because, number one, it's acceptable in America for police to kill blacks. That's number one. And number two, he can't afford to isolate conservative Democrats and middle-of-the-road Republicans as it relates to him getting approved all the legislation he wants to get carried over during his presidency. Mm -hmm. So Joe Biden got to make a decision. I either got to stand up for black people, you understand, or I got to keep white people comfortable enough to approve my legislation. And what is he choosing? He's choosing his legislation over the lives of black folks. Yeah, I I do disagree. So, that's you. Take off now. Yeah. Um, What was the next? Oh, I do want to make sure I touch this point because it's probably the most important when you talk about, um, you know, us getting more involved in politics. And I think everything that uh, Dr. Umar Johnson just said leads right back to what you said in terms of us having people with real political courage and power to get in office. But if we don't fund them, if we do not put our resources behind these individuals, they could send you and me right to Congress tomorrow. And we pretty, we're pretty strong on the issues. And they could send the two of us. But if we don't have the resources that we need when we get there, we're going to end up becoming a part of the very system that we're fighting against, right? And I know this because I've seen it happen with a number of people who have gone into office and, you know, and have been really good people with great ideas that are sucked into the idea that they, to his point, they have to, they are often challenged with political expediency. Mm. And that's why most people, because I won't run for office, because I understand that that's not where my voice is needed more on the outside, right? And I'm not going to become an elected official that has to negotiate what I believe in and try to willy-nilly to get a budget so that I can pass anything in my community and open community centers and do other things that I want to do. I know that that power is in the $1.4 trillion that we have in our hands, but we don't necessarily use and we, we don't necessarily understand the importance of us making sure that we keep our elected officials, our media, and our organizers independent from the the overall system that does not mean that does not mean that you can't work with certain folks it does not mean that you can't have relationships and use the resources of the broader world in order to be able to do the things you want to do but if that is what you rely on i wrote the word reliance if that is your main source of income 
and it is not based upon you being funded by your own people, that's where the issues come in. And when we start to, or people start to waver on what you believe, um, you know, they, they were about when you sent them to office. So I just wanted to make sure that we make that point. Now, I think that Dr. Umar said so many things that are so powerful. I mean, he really just told the truth. And the reality of it is that we never thought for one minute that Joe Biden or any other 70 year old white man was going to become president and change black people's conditions overnight. We understand that even Joe Biden and others may be finding out how much power they don't have over Absolutely. the systems that they think they're in control of, right? Because there are others who have way more power. In terms of, first of all, in my judgment, Mitch McConnell, um, Lindsey Graham, and others like that have much more power than uh, Joe Biden, right? Yes. And we the, see the majority, the majority whip is very powerful. The majority whip, you know, it, it is extremely powerful. And by the way, even Nancy Pelosi is quite powerful, Absolutely. yet she is not anywhere near radical on our issues or even close to our issues. So the people who have the power are pretty much white men a few women, but basically white men who lean so far away from what it is that we actually need in order to find justice and equity for our people. And so I do believe that it's about running for office, funding our candidates. But I also believe that what we've been saying from the beginning, Brother Cam, and, and I think this is probably the most important point that I can give in terms of where I stand, is that there is going to be a fight and we cannot take our feet off the gas because we got a different president. That was never our strategy. We knew that Donald Trump was destabilizing this country more than what we could handle. It was, it, we already, in my judgment, and I understand that there are some people who believe that we needed it, that we needed a Donald Trump. And I think that that, was, that is true to some degree. I think it was important that Donald Trump became president for at least those four years so that the world could see just how rotten to the core this nation is. I totally Absolutely. see that. But when I see a pandemic that comes and hits all of us, the entire world, right? And America being the leaders because we are ultimately what America is doing, the rest of the world to, to a large degree follows. And the way in which he approached dealing with the pandemic, and I'm not talking vaccines, I'm not talking anything, I'm just talking about the fact that when the pandemic first hit, he did not even want to acknowledge that people were literally dying and that there was something that could kill our people and, and, and rest in paradise to our brother, Hafiz, who I love dearly, who, 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 who perished as a result of COVID-19. And we know so many others who have been impacted. It was that. It was, and, and whether or not you agree that there should be an executive order for the Asian community, I think we all agree that there should be. We just want, again, we just want the same, same for the black up. community. That's all we want. We're not saying don't do it over here. We're saying just do it for the black community as well. 
Um, you know, we know that the reason why the Asian community is being targeted is because of the rhetoric that came from the Oval Office and from that podium in the White House. We know what happened. We saw the language that was being used to target the Mexican community, to target black folks, um, you know, and, and so many. He was not, in my judgment, somebody that should continue to be president of the United States. But it did not mean that I was happy with the choices that we had. You brought up Ice Cube earlier. And there is this, some, somewhere along the way, this, this idea that I was not with Ice Cube or that I didn't support what he was saying. I don't know where that came from. I think it probably is because um, I made a, a statement on The Breakfast Club that was uh, critical of one thing, and we'll talk about that, but it was not his overall concept and what he was pushing for. I had the same conversation with, with Puff Daddy, with Puff, you know, we call him Puff. Yeah. Same conversation with him. Timing matters. Timing matters when we are going to strike, right, a, a, in these situations. Absolutely. There was a moment when there were 50,000 million people running for the Democratic nomination. Right. And it could. And obviously we didn't have a challenger for um, for Trump. Right. But but there was a moment when there was all of these Democrats, 10 to 15 different Democrats on the stage. Yeah. And they range from um, people who were extremely liberal. There were people who understood and could explain and were in support of. Um, dealing with police brutality in ways that we have not heard uh, other uh, candidates do in the past. Right. So when I think about somebody like, uh, what's my brother? I'm trying to, the Latino brother, I can't get his name. It, it won't come to me right now. Um, oh, Lord. You guys, Castro. What's his mm -hmm. first name? They'll, they'll tell us in a minute. We'll see. It, I see people talking on the scene, right? Um um, our brother Castro, and like I said, it'll come to me. Uh, so when, when we see people like him, who was out there saying in qualified immunity, um, you know, he was talking about demilitarizing police. We had many different voices, and and in and in each pocket, I believe that had we put our demands and our power on the table at that moment, we could have pushed people to lean even further. But what we did instead, too many of us, and I had this conversation with Puff, when, when we came down to Trump versus Biden, Puff's thing was, you know, um, he said, we, we need to hold our votes or something, something right. to yeah. that right. And my position is, my brothers, I love y'all. And I know that everything you're saying is 100% right. There needs to be a demand. And we need to be standing behind that demand. But we cannot wait until we have, we literally have no options because that's what we were working with. In the end, you were dealing with somebody who I believe to be terrorist number one right. up against another white man who is extremely dangerous too, but I didn't see them as being exactly the same. And so we're put in a situation where what the lesson that I believe we have learned is that we shouldn't stop the demand. We should not stop organizing. We don't say, uh, Ice Cube, he didn't do, you know, uh, we don't need what he, no, we need what he's talking about, 
but we need to rev up, ramp up the, the fight and the conversation right now to get ready. Number one, we can, we can absolutely push this administration. If we come together with a force like those of us who are engaged during elections, that is the biggest problem that I am constantly fighting with black folks and trying to push black people to understand. It is between elections that is most important. Right. So the energy that we approach elections with, if we have that same energy today, right now, in this moment, that is how we organize to do one, to do two things. One, to push the administration because we can force them. We can force them to the table if we do not allow them to break us up in silos where different parts of our communities are happy with certain things that we are able to accomplish. And, and, and just because we got a job or because Kamala Harris got you know to be vice president, if we come together and say, all of that is cool, but that's what you're supposed to be doing. But we want points one, two, and three to be handled. And we're going to demand it to the point. And I see people in the chat that that's talking about um, yeah, Julian Castro. Julian exactly. Castro, right. Julian Castro. Um, but I see people in the chat that's talking about boycotts and other things that I think are most effective. If we want to see that policy is changed right now as it relates to Black America, the, the main thing that I believe we have to do is strike corporations because corporations are the ones that will speak to Joe Biden and say, Whatever it is that the black people need, you need to get it done quickly because our these corporations cannot take another hit. They do not the 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 lobbyists and the the main families, the 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 Disney's and yes, uh, yes, the, the Walmart yes. family and all of them, those people really control what is happening with politics in this country. And at the point that we look and say we're no longer going to uh, to to buy things from Amazon. We're no longer going to continue to go to Walmart and support these different mega mega conglomerates that that are are really sucking all of the resources out of our communities. At the point that we say that, and that we have enough people in mass that are willing to do it, I promise. Whatever it is, we're talking about the executive orders, the consequences, the the it will happen. So that's that's one point. But I think your your the the second point is that when you now know that in 2024, no matter what he says, Joe Biden is not going to be in shape to run for president. Absolutely, it's not going to happen, right? Absolutely. If he tries it, it won't. It just won't work. Because first of all, Donald Trump is coming back with a vengeance. Yes, he's coming back. He's definitely coming back. Okay, um, that means. Perhaps it's Kamala, perhaps there's some there, there's someone else, but we know there will be a number of individuals because they will smell blood in the water and know that this 70 whatever year old man is not going to be able to to uh, to win or to even run. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, then the conversations that Puff is having about um, a separate party, which, you know, I still say and, and I talk about it in my book, I'm not sure. And we'll talk about why, but I'm not sure that black people have reached the point that we are prepared to separate ourselves 100 percent from the Democratic Party. Um, I, I think I hope it's something that we do soon, because I certainly am not comfortable 
um, you know, being a diehard member of the Democratic Party. And in fact, I challenge Democrats all the time. And so I'm not invited into the Democratic spaces, the, you know, the, right. the parties and the whole thing. I'm, I'm not invited to those places and that's fine with me. But I'm not sure that we're at the point where we're ready to separate 100 percent. What I do think that we are willing to do or we're ready to do is to start what is a party, a party in development that gets us on the same page so that when it is time for us to vote, we're moving as a block. That we are organized where we are able to force candidates to come to us with their agenda that is aligned with what our communities need and that we can get ourselves organized to, like you said, deal with local elections and then be on the same page about who we're going to put our support behind, whether they are Democrat or Republican, which in this particular moment, there are not many Republicans that I see nationally who represent my morals and, and my values. But let's just say that someone uh, comes to be in this next election. We need to have already established a way in which we intend to approach those candidates as a block, as a, as millions of people who have signed up to come together and to, and, and, and in many ways, you know, some people call it a political action committee. I think mm -hmm. it's, it's broad. I think it's, it's broader than just a, a pack. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's what I see in this moment. So that's why I say we always knew we were going to have to fight. And I don't think that we can take our eye off the ball or to just go back and start being the best commentators. We have to continue to be the best organizers and use even our commentating spaces to do things like what you're talking about. Who, what is going to be the slate of individuals running for office soon? Who, how do we find the... Um, the, 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 you know, I was getting ready to start naming electeds across the country that I think are doing great work, but I won't do that because we're not all going to agree. And, you know, sometimes just those little things can turn people off and say, oh, he ain't doing nothing in the community and whatever. So we won't do that. But what is the slate and how do we get behind those individuals? And then this is, this is really the overarching point that I hope we can shift to in many ways. Um, the unity among us is so critical to anything that we're talking about. The demands for policy change, um, you know, our economic development, uh, and just the, the good old support and upliftment of our communities and for our people, right? This unity question is something that I think we have to all work on practicing uh, in a different, in a, in a much more, um, in a much stronger way. Part of the reason why we have been unable to accomplish some of what needs to happen is not because people don't see us as being powerful because we, they knew. And then one thing that I would differ with to some degree with Dr. Johnson is that it wasn't just the need to put a cherry, you know, or, or to, to send a smoke signal, if you will, to India by putting Kamala Harris in place. I was a part of literally nightly phone calls with black women, extremely powerful black women who went to Joe Biden and said, you had best make your vice president a black woman. 
And there were three women that we were specifically supporting. And the, and the, and the, and the issue was you can choose any one of these three, but this must happen. And I can tell you that when those conversations first started, it was, they were wavering. There was consideration of another white man. There was all kinds of, and black women got together and for weeks we pounded. And I'm not, I'm not talking about just me and you and Mary Lou. I'm talking about the, the, the leading black women in this society, people who you look at with a great deal of respect came together with other black women and put together a strategy called win with black women. Jotaka Edie was one of the main organizers of it. And we worked together and created a campaign and pushed Joe Biden to ensure that a black woman became vice president of this country. So it's not that they don't know we have power, but they watch us fight each other so much that they understand where the weaknesses are and they know that we are not always able to come together on the same plan, even if we are on different sides of the issue. They monitor our social media more than we do. They are, in, and in fact, and in fact, they pay the trolls that get online, that pick up certain messages and go out and spread more divisiveness within our communities. So this is an actual tactic. So you think you talking bad against your brother or your sister online and you saying, you know, some good shit or what, excuse me, I don't know if when you're on my <laughs> podcast, we say bad words, but- <laughs> You but, good, um, sis, you good. <laughs> Um, you know, we think we we talking good stuff. You know, we think that, you know, we're challenging people and we, we're doing all of these things that if that's what you want to do, it's fine. But what we have to understand is that there are people listening and watching and they want they always love to see when we start tearing down people who are actually considered to be leaders in our community who may not be perfect, because I know I'm not perfect in any way, shape, or form. But I also know that if you put my record up against a number of individuals who spend a hell of a lot of time talking, it's not the same. It's not the same. And so what we need is support, right? We need, as I told you earlier, I have many conversations where um, where I'll be in a conversation with you to say Riza or, or some, you know, I can go on and I'm listening to them and I'm like, well, I don't know if I agree with that. But what it does do for me is that even if I don't necessarily agree, and I had this conversation with Minister Farrakhan, even if I, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, yes, um, even if I don't agree, you ain't going to hear too much about it on the street. That's not that's not my that's not my strategy for the best way. And I know that for me, it's different from other people. I'm not suggesting that other folks shouldn't critique and do whatever they want to do. I'm saying that for me, because I know my voice is powerful and I know people are listening. I have to be very careful about how I engage in conflict with others. Now, I'm human. So sometimes you might catch me in a, 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 a weak moment where I'm responding or, you know, I've taken. Right all that I'm going to take. And at that point, I need to speak out. But I'm very careful about what I say about other Black people in, in public spaces. The minister had a long conversation with me one day in which he said, you don't have to agree with me. We, we, we had a dialogue about my feelings 
on something that he said, right? And we had a, a whole dialogue about it back and forth. And, you know, and he said, you don't have to agree with me. I don't agree with you about everything. But the one thing that we have to always agree on is that if we're brothers and sisters, and this is a family in which we are all working towards getting our people free, then the way in which we have that disagreement needs to be managed in a way that doesn't give our oppressor something to use against us. So I think that's a lot that I said, but the point is that, yeah, we need to do all that. Dr. Johnson said some real powerful things, but if we don't work on how we as a community will come together to demand that that stuff happens. And to the point where if somebody comes out and says no shopping for Black Friday, um, you know, like we did with 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 the what was it? Um, what was the campaign that we had? Oh, you are you talking about uh, up with Jesus and down with uh, Santa? Or are you talking about the, yeah, the but it was, it was something else that we called it during that time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, I think it was a blackout. I think it was like the blackout or something. It was like a blackout. Yeah. But, you know, and I ain't shopped on on uh, Black Friday since then. And that was after uh, I think Mike Brown was killed. Right. When we say that, we can't take the attitude. Well, you know, who are you to call that person, that boycott? Like, you know, why you, you know, why that? Why you, you know, we, 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 we need to get beyond that and understand that if we're all working towards a particular goal, then we should be more supportive of um, those people who are really trying to help us get there. So that's, that's my point. Absolutely. And you made some beautiful, beautiful uh, <laughs> points. And then you, you went ahead and, and turned us in the direction I was already planning on going. Okay. I was actually in the background trying to find this video. And out of all the videos that I have and I posted a minister, I cannot find the video. But I was going to say that at the time, what you were talking about with uh, when <coughs> Biden and Donald Trump was uh, in the uh spar in the midst of sparring for the election and we had all of these different candidates and we were having as those in uh, leadership positions that have influence we're having these conversations about you know with ice cube and his plan and things of that nature we needed to have everybody present the problem that we do sometimes is we get engaged in these stuff in these things and again it goes back to our unity we're not unified together all of us have to be present now i do know with uh brother ice cube is that he did have some advisory uh or some um or mm -hmm. had some advisors uh by way of dr claude anderson uh you know and uh i definitely know that he has some advisor advisement coming from the honorable minister louis farrakhan but but we always have to be in the room See, we right. cannot have yeah. these meetings Absolutely. and everybody's not in the room. Absolutely. We can't have a meeting where there's Sister Tamika Mallory in the room and you have, uh, you know, other people in the room, but you I don't agree. have the nation in the room. You can't have these uh, these uh, these meetings and you don't have, or at least invite <laughs> Dr. Umar to the room, you know, and other people to the room so that we can have these discussions and have all the perspectives put out on the table. Because as you mentioned, everybody's not going to agree. But one thing that we all can agree on is that the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan has more experience in this than all of us. Mm -hmm. And when we go into these different things and we find it difficult to come out and we need that guidance, then we have to lean on the one who has the wisdom, the one that has the experience, the one who's been battling this 
enemy for 60 plus years. Some of us wasn't even born when the minister was on the battlefield. So mm -hmm. for us to not have his counsel there and available to us or have his representatives in the building so that we can have that counsel does a disservice to us as a people if we're trying to move forward. So we all have to be uh, you know, available and all have to be in those rooms. And I think moving forward, we have to use our collective voices because at the end of the day, if you're really fighting for black liberation, if you really want to see uh, freedom, justice and equality for our people, then the power structure that's in place now is not going to like you. They're not going to like you because when you talk about liberation for us, that means the end of white supremacy for them. They built their world on white supremacy. <laughs> So if their That's world right. is built on white supremacy, then black liberation means the end of their world. So they're not going to like the Honorable Brother Minister Louis Farrakhan or any of his representatives. They're not going to like a person like Sister Tamika Mallory who gets in a, uh, and is advised by the minister and other powerful black voices. Dr. Claude Anderson, who has experience <laughs> in the political spectrum and has actual, uh, you know, um, actual uh solutions that we can put into place right now that can start to change the condition of black people so those voices are not going to be welcomed in a room and we have to as black people be okay with that and say okay well then we're not going to have a meeting with y'all if we can't have all of our people here then we can't have no meeting with y'all right but see the problem is some of us we taking meetings and leaving half of the uh, leaving everybody else outside mm -hmm. and then sit up here and, and, and then say why we are fragmented and then, you know, black people not being a monolith and all, all these other different things, which are just excuses for one person to be the drum major, because there's always that one that want to be the drum major that got to be the face of it. And if you got this person there, that person there, then you feel as if you're not the one that is up front. So we have to deal with all of those different things within our, our own community that will allow our leadership to move forward. But I also wanted to bring this point up as well, where, on the back of the Final Call newspaper, and for those of you who do not know what the Final Call newspaper is, it is a black publication, the biggest, baddest, boldest paper on the planet Earth. You need to get you one when you see the brothers on the corner, uh, you, uh, or you can also get the digital subscription. Make sure you tap in with your brother for the digital subscription. You can get that as well, get it directly to your phone. But there's something on the back that's called the Muslim program and what the Muslims want. And point number four is this, and I want, I want to read this, and I want to see how we can settle on this uh sister tamika okay. uh, so it, it reads this we want our people in america and this is written by the most honorable elijah muhammad we want our people in america whose parents or grandparents were descendants from slaves to be allowed to establish a separate state or territory of our own either on this continent or elsewhere we believe that our former slave masters are obligated to provide to provide such a land and that the area must be fertile and minerally rich we believe that our former slave masters are obligated to maintain and supply our needs in this separate territory for the next 20 to 25 years until yeah. we are able to produce and supply our own needs. And this is the reason why, because some people say, well, why we got to do that? Here's mm. the reason why. Mm. Since we cannot get along with them in peace and equality after giving them 400 years of our sweat and blood and receiving in return some of the worst treatment human beings have ever experience we believe our contributions to this land and the suffering forced upon us by white america justifies our demand for complete separation in a state or territory of our own and i mentioned that and emphasized the word separation not segregation because yeah. when we as people hear separation then what we automatically assume that it's segregation you're gonna have the white 
uh, water fountain and the black water fountain. You're going to have the white bathroom and the back bathroom. That's mm-hmm. not what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, similar to what the Mormon church has done. What the Mormon church has done in the state of Utah is that they pool their resources together and they, they own the state of Utah. The Utah Jazz have to pay the Mormon church for their use of the facility that the Utah Jazz plays basketball in. And all of their advertisement, all of their uh, ads and commercials and things have to be approved and ran through by the Mormon church in order for them to operate in that city. That is what you have. And that's what you call power. That doesn't mean that the Mormon church doesn't do business with nobody else. That doesn't mean that the Mormon church doesn't travel outside of the state of Utah and do all of these different things, but they have, have established themselves a separate state and territory of their own so that they are able to operate and develop themselves as, as a community. Yeah. And you go out to different uh, states, you see other uh, coaches that have their own schools, that have their own uh community policing you know you have all these different things in place so that if there is a situation that happens they have some backup you have some type of backup you have a home that you can call where you can go home and you don't have to worry about being discriminated against you don't have to worry about anybody treating you other than how you need to be treated because you're amongst your own that is what we are calling for and have been asking for with this point in the muslim program and the way that we get there Mm. is through our unity, having these meetings, mm-hmm. pooling our resources together, because that's a whole nother thing that we as black people don't seem to understand that freedom isn't free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm I'm say it again. Freedom is not free. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that you cannot continue to have people who go out here and stick their neck out on the line. You cannot continue to have people who are traveling back and forth across the country, being involved in this protest, making sure that they're here for this family, being and having emotional support for this family, this loved one, this lost person, raising the level of consciousness amongst the people, being involved in policy change. And we are not financing them because at the end of the day that we still live in a society that requires you to have money. Flights is not cheap whether you fly in private or you fly commercial Delta, mm-hmm. not giving us no discounts. They're mm-hmm. not giving you no free rides. Southwest, no. neither. None of them. It costs money to travel. It costs money to get to where you're going. Then when you get there, you need ground transportation. Then mm-hmm. you have to have a roof over your head. Then you have to eat in the midst of you doing all of this work. So I don't even understand or entertain the people who talk about finance and where and which finance is coming. If you're not the one that's helping and providing the finance. And I bring that mm-hmm. point up because you did a commercial with Cadillac. Mm-hmm. And in the process of you doing that commercial with Cadillac in partnership with them, you received a lot of backlash for that. You received mm-hmm. a lot of flack for that. And my response as I look back and I sat back and listened to a lot of the critiques. I listened to several different critiques on YouTube. I listened to and saw the different comments of the people that were saying all of these different things. And I said, and I sat back and said to myself, I said, well, damn, how are we going to have someone who is out here putting in the work, whether you agree with alliances, whether you agree with specific viewpoints is not what we're talking about. That's not, that's null and void in the discussion, but the sister is putting in the work. The brother is putting in the work and you expect them to also have to feed their families also have to maintain their lifestyle, maintain the roof over their head. And we're not sending economic support. 
I, right. I know we ain't sending economic support. So you don't even have to talk about there being some fund somewhere or you, you claiming that you sending them. No, you're not. No, you're not. You, you, you're not doing that. We're not doing that. You understand? So because we're not doing that, that does not put you in a moral position to judge a person in the business, especially if you don't have all of the actual facts to understand what is going on. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I had to come out in my podcast and make that point very clear. And also what the Honorable Brother Minister Louis Farrakhan said back in 2010, when they had that conference with uh, Tavis Smiley and uh, Dr. Uh, Eric Dyson and a couple of other uh, individuals, uh, Reverend uh, Jesse Jackson was there as well. And the minister talked about what you said, your point was that we have to be very conscious of the commentary that we put out about our people. It's nothing wrong with critiquing, but there's a time and a place. Timing, as you mentioned, is very, very important. And the place and the manner in which we do it, it has to come from a place of love because the minister talked about, about back then how mm -hmm. the conversations that were being uh, had about our brother, President Barack Obama, could create an atmosphere that would allow the enemy to use our passion and our critiques against our brother and justify some harm coming to him from them. Mm -hmm. And then blame it on us because mm -hmm. of the atmosphere that we created with our commentary. Right. So we had to be extremely, extremely careful and mindful of when we're going to critique how and, and why we're going to critique said person and the way that we go about it. Because again, like you said, they're monitoring our social medias. They're monitoring our disagreements. They're monitoring who is in disagreement with this person and that person because their whole nature is to divide and conquer. So they find that door to get in and then they can play both sides, which ultimately will lead to the destruction of both sides with them coming out as the winner. So we have to be extremely mindful of that. That is one of the tactics of COINTELPRO and COINTELPRO 2.0 is how they get into leadership positions, get into the ears of the leaders and then cause them to be divided. So we have to stay on point about that. So I want you to talk about the partnership that was with uh, Cadillac so that people can hear and understand where you're coming from and what you and, and how that thing was all put together. Because there was a lot of critique coming that had not come from Absolutely. the person that, that was actually involved in the situation. So can Absolutely. you go ahead and talk about that? So I'm, you know, I'm a student of history and I've also grown up in the movement and I appreciate you asking me this question um, and your, your, your statement leading into it is so important and so powerful. Um, but I actually didn't do the uh, Cadillac. So first of all, a lot of this started swarming prior to the um, Cadillac commercial being released, it started somewhere around the Grammys. And it really was even before that um, because the initial issue was that there was a surge of folks online who were supporting a grieving mother um, who had, who has every right to critique all of us. I think, right. you know, as I said um, on my podcast, Street Politicians, and I will continue to say that if a child is killed in our communities, the world should stop. They should know that black people are unwilling to go with business as usual 
until there's justice for that child um, and until we stop the killing of another child. We have dealt with, uh, you know, the unfortunate slaying of, of our young brother many years ago. Maybe we wouldn't be at Micaiah Wright and others today. Absolutely. Right? Um, Cause they say he had, he had a gun, you know, he had something in his hand that looked like a gun. So, you know, that that's what, that's what I believe. And I truly stand by that. Right. Um, but again, when people see certain things happening on the internet, certain conversations happening publicly about us, our leaders, our organizers, our families, what happens is that they pick it up. And when I say they, it's the same folks who came out and told us during the 2012 election um, that they were Black Lives Matter folks who were telling us don't vote, right? They were saying we should not vote in this election. And once there was an actual report done on those profiles online, many of those individuals were found to be trolls who were paid, who were Russian uh, implants, if you will, on the internet, mm. right? And, and, and it was a full campaign that was out there trying to encourage particularly young black voters not to go to the polls. And they used our dislike, our, our rightful dislike of Hillary Clinton and right. her previous policies and her, um, you know, also statements she's made about the black community and uh, things that her husband has done. And while I do not believe that any woman should be held to the actions of a man, I also understand that she was in office long enough to try to correct some of what had already taken place and she Absolutely. could have been an advocate for that. And Absolutely. so he had very justified concerns about Hillary Clinton. Um, whatever our issues were, they used them even, and, and there were many black people who were like, yeah, and this Donald Trump guy, we don't like him either. And politics don't work and we're still dying. And they took snapshots of all of our commentary online and they used it as a, as a very powerful force to try to stop people from going to the polls. And in some situations, it absolutely worked. Not to mention that the Democratic Party has failed us over and over and over again. And so people who would never give their vote to a Donald Trump, they also did not feel comfortable voting for the Democrats. So all of that was happening at once. The mechanisms had not died off. They haven't gone away. They, what they learned is, wow, we can cause major dissension in these communities if we use the same tactics of trolling people online. Right. Most people do not know how to notice trolls. They don't know how to identify a troll. But I actually do because I click profiles to see who I'm arguing with before mm. I start putting together my four letter words that I want to say to somebody who comes on there to try to, you know, talk, talk dirty to me. I want to talk mm. dirty back, but I need to make sure I'm not wasting my time. Right. And um, and, and, I, and I click profiles and see that people have one follower. Um, zero pictures, yep. certain bots. things, bots, right? Or, mm -hmm. or their pictures, you can look at them and tell it's not a real, it's not a real life. Perfect. It's not a real family. You know that these are trolls. And there were many of them that took the words of a grieving mother and used it as an opportunity to swarm my socials 
and other things with this, you know, with this critique, if you will, right? And I said, I don't know Miss Rice at all. I've never met her. I don't know her. But what I learned quickly as I began to do my own research into what was happening was that a group of individuals were supporting her. So, and which is fine because we all just, we all need support. And as I began to study their social media accounts and their previous commentary, and even the commentary that they were using to um, talk about me, I recognized that these are people that we probably, we are on very far spectrums of the ideological universe, right? Like in terms of, so we're, we, we would probably not be um, in the same organization, although we could be in the same room meeting, we can have conversation, we can have dialogue, we can work together on some projects, but we, we, don't, we, we don't see the path towards victory as being exactly the same, Absolutely. right? For our community. So I began to read that and I saw what was going on. And the, 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 the vitriol coming from many of those individuals and others from there was very, very strong. I'm trying to be very careful with, you know, again, how I use words because I know that what I say, it matters. Um, and so once I noticed that, I, I recognized that there was a convergence, if you will, of people who probably never liked me and never will, mixed with folks who really were, were, were supporting a grieving mother who felt like I had done something, even if, because most folks got in touch with me and said, well, what happened? You know, what, what did you do? You know, where, what, 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 what went wrong? And then I began to explain to them that I had not been involved, um, you know, with this mom's baby, I had not, you know, I did not meet her. If I did, it may have been in passing somewhere at an event or something. Maybe we spoke, but I, I did not have any um, substantial communication with her. And as I began to explain that to people, they began to say, okay, so there's some deep pain here. And, you know, you happen to be in a in very visible and therefore we're going to get hit with the critiques of the world that's just that goes along with the territory with being a leader with being right. a voice right that's right so fine so that happened immediately following the the grammy situation the cadillac commercial comes out and at the point that it comes out first of all i woke up one day and it was posted and I didn't even know it was it was happening on that particular day. I think there was supposed to be like a, a two days later, but it didn't happen at that time. It's fine. Right. I woke up one day and it was posted. And I'm very proud of um, the commercial that I was in because I'm proud of the story that goes along with how it came together. And so we'll talk about that story. So first of all, I've not ever met with anybody directly from Cadillac. So let's just be clear about that. My relationship was not with Cadillac. My relationship was with a black advertising agency that came to me and said, 
We are doing a spot, a commercial, a short film for Cadillac. And it is about black women during Black History Month. And we would like you to be featured in it as an activist because that's not usually the direction we take. When we get ad dollars, we generally do commercials using celebrities or unknown individuals or you know regular actresses. Right. And we use them to fill these roles. But because of the moment that we're in, the George Floyd um, you know, uh, situation, the murder of George Floyd had happened, Breonna Taylor, and so many other things. And I had obviously um, made a speech that people felt was very impactful. They came looking for me and said, we wanna do it different this time. We would like to put someone like you in the main role within this commercial to talk about the power of black women during Black History Month. And so because of the fact that this particular ad agency, um, which is uh, Spike Lee's agency, um, um, is uh, obviously I respect them greatly. I know Spike Lee to be um, an activist in his own right. Uh, I, was, I said, okay, cool, this is, this is good. They also told me that the company had assigned a budget of $10 million to give to grassroots organizations and other organizations who work in the criminal justice space um, over a particular time and that they had already given money to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, which um, is different from the NAACP, which I support the NAACP as well, but the Legal Defense Fund specifically files lawsuits against you know, it will files lawsuits in response to legislation and other things that are oppressing people of color. And they do a damn good job, Sherilyn Eiffel being the leader of the NAACP on those types of issues. And so they said that they had already done that. And they also were, um, you know, working on distributing this $10 million. And so they, you know, wanted me to be a part of it. Now, this is something that I've not talked about in most places, but this is an important piece. During the process, we got a call, my manager got a call from a black woman who is an actress, who's a part of the union, but was unable to get a job in this particular film, in this particular short film, that's what they call it. Um, in this particular short film, she was unable to get a job but she wasn't necessarily calling for herself. She was advocating for the union workers in general that were unable to get on the set because since I was a part of the, um, and the main talent for the spot, for the short film, the rules are that they don't have to have a fully unionized set because I, as the main talent, was not a union member. And so she was contacting me to let me know that this was happening. These individuals couldn't get jobs. And it wasn't that she wanted the, them to be hired. What she wanted to say was that because this is not a union job, 
these other young ladies are not going to be paid the same as what union workers would make. And she was concerned that we as black women were working on a campaign or on a, a, a short film that we would not receive the type of, uh, of compensation that she knows we could have if we had the protection of the union. And so I said, okay, I went back to the agency, explained to them the issue. They went to Cadillac and others and did whatever work they had to do. And they immediately came back and said, and put it in writing to me. Not only are we going to ensure, um, not only are we going to sit down with these women to talk about some of the other issues they have, the other thing we're going to do is to pay them three times the amount that they would be paid, which is more than what the union would have paid them, right? So I'm not saying that little old Tamika is the fix for every problem. But the one thing that we made sure is that when a black woman came to us to say, there's some issues here, it was corrected. And then of my own income, I promise, which I'm, I think we still haven't received it, but of my own income, you know, it takes a long time, but of my own income, I committed to giving $5,000 to this organization that this woman works with um, that, specifically focuses on organizing young black actresses and young black women. And so there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. And when you decide that you're going to come to uh, social media to tell all of the different things that I'm saying, which I can now say freely because it's after the fact and, you know, the, and it's out of Women's History Month and I'm able to discuss those things, the next critique you receive is, oh, why are you telling that you help the, you know, the women and how much they got paid and how come you telling that you donated and why, you know, so we always find a way to condemn our own people. And the, the, the funny thing about it is that many of the individuals that I saw asking questions and I listened to some of their commentary, not all of them, but I listened to a few and they actually didn't have facts. The way in which it was the way in which it was um, talked about and, 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 and the way in which it was uh, interpreted was that I had a deal with, Cat with Cadillac, which by the way, if Cadillac came to me as a black woman who is an activist who says things like Daniel Cameron is the same as, and I'm talking about the attorney general of, 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 of Kentucky, that yeah, Daniel Louisville. Cameron well, he's of the whole Kentucky Attorney okay. General. But if, if 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 Cadillac came to me and empowered the voice of somebody who is willing to stand up and say that he's the same as the sellout Negroes that sold our, sold our people into slavery, if he's the same as somebody who stood and, and made a very uh, important statement when they were trying to change the conversation of George Floyd's murder, to looting of and, and to burning of buildings. And I stood on national TV and said, and the whole world heard it, that I don't give a damn if they burn down Target, the AutoZone, all of these places, that those people should be out here on the streets with us. And days later, Target opened up their doors and said, take what you want. We're not going to 
uh, try to criminally charge anybody who comes in to get things that they need during the time of the unrest within Minneapolis, right? So I understand, and and I and I say this, brother Cam, and then I'm I'm gonna be done with it. I have been in this work for so long that I understand very clearly the fear that our people have that when they see us in proximity to white money, to white people, even to black folks that they don't necessarily trust. And when they see someone like me, who they consider to be a very grassroots on the ground activist, go into a space where it seems that you, you know, you can now make it to the Grammys, you can, um, you know, you can, um, um, somebody is saying here, da, 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 da. <laughs> um, anyway, that you now can make it to the Grammys, that you can, you know, you can. And I think what's important is that you listen to what I said on the Grammys. I didn't go up there and say, I'm so happy to be here and kick a good rhyme. I went on the Grammys and said, President Biden. And by the way, there was a little bit of tension around me calling out President Biden on that platform. Oh, yeah, I was going to touch on that. Right. It was a little bit of tension around that, but they, they, I was unscripted and they allowed me in the short time that I had to say what I needed to say. And I went there and said, President Biden. So, we, you know, I know that Dr. Umar Johnson, um, you know, he spoke um, at length on the Breakfast Club to, and, and was very good. I didn't have that long, but the same message applied in the short time that I had to say we demand justice, equity, and policy change on behalf of our communities. And that this is, that yeah, it's been a hell of a year, but it's been hell for over 400 years, right? Absolutely. And that and, and that was the message that I delivered at the Grammys and then supporting black women on, on, at, on to the Cadillac thing. So what I understand is that when people see these big names and they see someone like me, having opportunities and moving into different spaces, the fear of what we have seen before, where sometimes our leaders abandon ship and become so close to um, the white supremacy, if you will, and money and other things that we get nervous. And the first thing that we do is, is fight or flight, right? We ready to We ready to either kick your butt or jump ship and leave you. Right. I, and, 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 and the only thing I would say, and I submit to you on this this evening, that I think people need to, again, pay attention to the message, the message that I have continued. Nobody has silenced me. They have not softened my words. They have not been able to change what it is that I feel. They have not been able to stop me from, from speaking out and from going straight off the Grammy stage back into the hood to meet with and work with our communities. Um, and they will never, because that's not me. That's not the, the cloth that I was cut from. And the only thing that I can say in defense of those who even critique me is that the only way that I will be able to maintain the respect that I have, because by the way, just so you know, just so you know, more people are with me than those who are critiquing me online, right? And they make sure every day that I know it. 
because they see it and they may not have the loudest voices, but they send me messages. They send us love. People, as soon as they saw how I was being attacked, they immediately you know, started to send donations and investments in our organization and to make sure that we know that they stand by us. And, 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 and I would say that the only thing that I can do is to continue to prove to my people that I am one with you and that I will continue to be an unapologetic voice. Even if we don't always agree, the one thing you will know is that I have not in any way um, softened my message in order to be able to get in the room. In fact, they came to get me because of my message. It was not the other way around. They didn't come to get me and give me what they wanted me to say. They came to find me because they believed that the message that I had been sharing and the ways in which I had been organizing was so strong that they wanted to, to, they wanted to shift the conversation all the way in that direction. So that's my, um, you know, my statement on that. And, 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 and the other thing, cause you know, I got a little bit of petty in me. If you ain't got no haters, you ain't doing nothing. So, you know, I just gotta, you know, you take the bitter with the, the bitter with the sweet and keep it moving. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for those of us who uh, have been tuned in from the beginning uh, of this conversation, we, we would like to thank you all for just hanging tight with us as we have moved through this. I am your brother, King Cam, host of the uh, Campaign TV Show podcast. I'm here with my sister, Tamika D. Mallory, who has been so gracious enough to uh, give us this much time with her. So uh, we are going to be landing the plane because my sister's very, very busy. Uh, so we're not going to... Um, continue to keep her uh, for very much longer, but it's a couple of things that I want to get to. I want you to talk about your book and I want you to talk about until freedom. Uh, and it's some points that I want to, uh, just bring up as well, uh, to what you just was saying a minute ago, as it pertains to, uh, to Cadillac. One of the things that I brought up in my podcast about that was what the person had commented about the fact that black people had been overly supportive of Cadillac for years. Mm -hmm. So for us to now all of a sudden act as if that we didn't have, hadn't been supporting Cadillac was like beyond me. Like if we understanding now where we at, you should have been stopped doing that if that was the case. But at the end of the day, that is on us. Cadillac is not coming to you, begging you for money. You're the one giving it to Cadillac. That's number one. <clears throat> but number two, what I thought was important and in the, uh, in the whole scope and perspective of everything is this that we also have to be very mindful of the hidden hand when we're dealing with these type of uh, organizations. We do know for a fact that there have been uh, white organizations or white supremacy that has used black faces Absolutely. in order to come in as a cover to uh, get over their overall message. And whereas they will use the face of a black person and put their message behind it and the per person's face that they're using didn't go in with that intention. So that part of uh, what has gone on in our history is what a lot of our people uh, you know, see when they see uh, people aligning uh, with these different companies. Uh, so that's number one. Um, mm -hmm. And number two, you stated it eloquently, you know, of how you made sure that there were um, stipulations and specifics in which you went into this with. So you vetted the situation to the best of your ability before you took it. Right. And, and what happens is a lot of the times 
a lot of our people see what happened to our rappers and to our athletes where you take deals without betting the situation. Right. You just take a deal because it has money on the table. And then what happens later on down the line, you become a scapegoat or you become a face for something that you don't totally endorse, but you're so far gone now that you cannot bring yourself right. back out. Right. So, you know, you have those different things. So I, again, it's a difference of perspective. People have made a valid points, not attacking you specifically directly, but attacking the agenda of those who may be in partnership and with uh, what was going on. But at the end of the day, uh, again, you are a very intelligent sister and these critiques that we have should be had in back rooms and not in public places where the enemy can use our quarrels against us. And then also I would like to bring up the fact that a lot of people forgot, they might have forgot <laughs> that you went on national TV, went on the view and you defended the honorable minister Louis Farrakhan in the face of one by the name of Megan McCain. Mm -hmm. Right? So you went on national television and did these things. So when someone comes and tries to, uh, you know, <laughs> validate how your strength or your stance on certain things, we have to always keep this in mind because just recently as of last night, Damon John had put out a tweet after the minister gave the beautiful eulogy of uh, our brother DMX. He comes out and then he says some good things about the minister on Twitter. And then all of a sudden he's retracting statements and he's not the first one. So it's not as if he's being singled out because he's not the first one. We're well aware of those who have come out and supported the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and then turn around and then retract the statements. You are one of the few people. You are one of the few people, I'm trying to think outside of us in the Nation of Islam, who will defend the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan unapologetically. Yeah, I think you have never backtracked or retracted those statements that were made on The View. Nice. And because of the stance that you made, there have been continuous backlash because we understand that Look. when you are um, on the side of the minister, when you defend him and understand his importance to our people, our community, to the black youth, then there's a certain level of enemy that's coming after you now. Mm -hmm. going to, that's going to try and try and push and put as much pressure on you to retract those statements. So then it gets to where you mentioned the pressure at the Grammys because there were certain levels and elements that did not want you there mm -hmm. because of certain stances that you took in particular lead dealing with the honorable minister Louis Farrakhan. A lot of people don't understand that to see that's background stuff that people are not even aware of. So now they're not understanding the amount of stress. See, the minister is a different individual. It's God personified love in that man. And the amount of, uh, unbotheredness that he has when it comes to his enemies and those he've tried to help us in the black community who have attacked him unjustly is on another level. But now when you side with him, those same enemies come after you. So now there's another amount of stress and pressure that's put on you and nobody's even thinking about what, what type of uh, stress am I dealing with on a daily basis coming from that? What type of phone calls am I getting? What type of emails am I getting? What type of threats am I receiving for pulling this endorsement or pulling this platform or doing this or doing that? Nobody's 
thinking about that type of or having that type of consideration because it's gotten lost in the sauce and it's because we have not taken the time to have a, a in-depth study and had a long-term view of what's going on yeah. our sight is very short in a lot of these different situations so you see what's happening right in front of you today but you have not went back over what has led up to what's happening to, to, to uh today so that we can have a full picture and a full scope of what's going on even though that the intent may be good sometimes these things happen so i want us to to keep that on the forefront of our mind before we jump out there that's why you don't see the minister speaking on stuff all the time everything that's something happened the minister ain't dropping a video and he ain't coming on live because the minister has to gather everything mm -hmm. and do a full and concise study of what has gone up what has led up to and what all of the circumstances and pieces that are in place that created this type of situation before he can come out and speak intelligently about it also he's leaning on god and the divine uh revelation given to him in order for him to deliver the best uh you know remarks on the situation so we have to be slow mm. in our repudiation and critique of our people when we have not gathered all of the facts so I wanted to to put that there. And Sister Tamika, I want you to talk about uh, your book, State yeah. of Emergency, for us. And then I also want you to talk about Until Freedom, how people can uh, stay tapped in with that, yeah. how uh, they can donate and things of that nature. And we're going to go ahead and let you go. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to button it all up. I appreciate it. It's time to go to bed. But I'm so happy that we were able to talk here tonight and that it wasn't fast and I didn't have to be the soundbite lady, um, you know, this evening. Um, I do want to say that um, I have been very, very clear and will continue to be clear that I do not and will not denounce black men in general, the minister or anyone else. And I also have been very clear in saying that I... Um, respect greatly the work that the Nation of Islam has done in the Black community. And I know firsthand from my own family that there are many who would be dead if it were not for the fact that the nation helped to shape their lives and to turn them around and to stand them up to be upstanding citizens, to be great fathers, um, to be great leaders. I know that. That, don't, that does not mean that we can't have conflict, that we don't have disagreements, that we always are on the same side of every issue. It does not mean that. And I have had conversation at length with the minister about my feelings as it relates to his feelings and his study and his statements on, on various issues. We've talked about it. Um, you know, most notably for me was watching how the LGBTQIA community was invited into the space for the uh, 20th anniversary of the Million Man March, watching the family and inclusion that we had there together. And because I had an up close and personal view of what was going on, I know that some of what we hear that's happening in the world in this soundbite society, right. not actually fact of what it is that is in our hearts. And that's something that I will stand by. 
Um, and I, I, I am so grateful for the support of the nation. I'm so grateful for the love of my brothers and sisters who have really, um, in many ways, embraced me and helped to, to help me to grow from a very, very young age until this point. So that's just way, what it is, and that's that. Um, you are 100% right. Standing with our people and making a decision that I was unwilling to throw my brother away for the support of any community or for any check or for any reason is not one that comes easy. And there was a lot of backlash that I still deal with Absolutely. every single day. Absolutely. I still deal with it. My book tour is beginning. I anticipate that there will be some problem as we move down the road. That's right. Because that's what I deal with regularly. The campaigns that you may see me in, that's one or two or three of 10 that may have come into my email. And because of what they want me to say or the ways in which I need to, um, you know, temper my message or, you know, because of uh, me being labeled by some people um, as anti-Semitic, all of those things have, have you know, it's sometimes they go from 10 to five or six. And I'm okay with that. I understand that. Does, you know, and, and again, does it, does it hurt? Is it harmful? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, I know that um, who I am and what I represent and the people that I'm trying to work on behalf of and this freedom journey that we're on is one that does not allow me to use my platform to tear down my own people. It is not. And so while you might see me challenged, well, Kanye, I don't think you should have said that, or Jojo, I don't like this or that, you will never see me out going toe for toe to toe, pound to pound, just being out there consistently going after my own people, even when I don't agree with them and for on everything that they do and say. So the bottom line is. My organization, Until Freedom, became a space where we could organize and be as Black as we want to be <laughs> and also get the support of our own people to keep us afloat. So if everybody decides, or not if everybody, but if everybody outside of our community decides that you know we, we, we're not what they want us to be, we're not model organizers, we're not on their messages or their talking points our people supporting us is what we need and as long and so until freedom is a home for us to organize and we believe that the people who are most impacted the folks who are on street corners people who have felony convictions our sisters who may go to strip clubs at night we believe that they have to be at the center of our organizing that they are the ones with the most solutions, that they know the issues, they're the researchers, they know, they're living through the issues. 
And that's what Until Freedom seeks to do. So you can go to UntilFreedom.com to support our work. Um, we ask that, you know, you all um, really, um, you know, pray for and support Until Freedom because the death threats are real. And to your point, Brother Cam, uh, you know, once a few black people started to critique me, the next thing I know, the death threats went up. Mm -hmm. so the number mm -hmm. of individuals who started calling me out my name, you know, writing me, uh, you know, t saying, saying crazy things, talking about taking my life, that started all over again. Um, and we just have to be very careful about that. So I'm tired and I'm winding down. But I will go back. Oh, you had asked me to talk about the book. So State of Emergency is my baby. It's my book, my, my first book. Um, and this book I started writing immediately following um, my speech in Minneapolis when George Floyd was murdered. Mm. And this book is a revisit of history. And it is, it is a revisit of history but it has a prescription for accomplices, allies, for allies to turn to, to become accomplices. Um, and for all of us, especially people who are new to the movement to get involved. At the beginning of, of, of this book, right? Um, the forward is a conversation between a Angela Davis, Dr. Angela Davis, and Cardi B. And there were a lot of people like, oh my God, like why, you know, Cardi B and why would you do that? And how, you know, what, what does she know? And how is she involved in the movement? But this conversation is actually a discussion where Cardi is saying, I'm not that buttoned up. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the perfect movement person. So is there room for me still at the table to advocate for justice. Is there still room for me? And, Car and, and Angela Davis responds to her in this book and tells a very powerful story about um, Nina Simone. And so I hope that people will get it. It's being released on May 11th. Um, it is available on everywhere you know how to buy a book, including Amazon. You could go and purchase my book right now. And um, I'm super, super duper excited for people to get their hands on it and to see what I worked on, um, you know, as my first little project, not little, but my first big project as an author. Absolutely. So tell the people how they can uh, purchase the book again and then how they can uh, follow you on your social media networks. So you can go to at Tamika D. Mallory, at Tamika D. Mallory on all platforms, but you also um, can go to all the places where you purchase books online. Uh, so that's black bookstores. Um, you know, of course, Amazon is one of the, the major places where most people will go to purchase the book. You can go there and you can get State of Emergency. Absolutely, absolutely, family. So, uh, I also, uh, I also have a little book out now, um, and it is uh, scrolling right. across the bottom. Uh, the enemy is the enemy, 
and it is a self-improvement book uh just going through some of the uh strategies that i use in order to uh be able to change um some of the self-destructive behaviors in my life so it's called the inner the enemy is the enemy and you can go and purchase that at the enemy uh the enemy is the enemy is the enemy.com <laughs> The enemy, the enemy is, is the, the enemy. enemy.com. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I yes. got it. I'm like, the enemy is the inner. inner right. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So you can yes. go ahead and, uh, and purchase that. Uh, the website is scrolling at the bottom. You can pre order it uh now uh so absolutely so again we would just like to thank you sister thank uh tamika mallory for coming on and having this discussion with us i felt like it was very much uh needed and yeah. as the title says that you know nobody wins when the family feuds so we have to learn to uh work through the disagreements not saying that there's never going to be no disagreements absolutely. but we have to learn to work through the disagreements and come to the end of it with love you know we had uh you know different people in the chat we had a lot of support uh for this and then we had some couple of people that had uh some other opinions but it's all good because we understand that that is just part of the territory so we appreciate those for hanging in with us uh and then again make sure you come back and uh and check this out on the replay and everything like that and we got to do another one of these uh sister we got to do another one of these the next time we do it i'm gonna be on for one hour and I'm going to bed because at least two people have texted me to say you're sleepy. It's time for you to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. So absolutely. So thank you, family, for uh for tuning in. And we're gonna go ahead and uh and close it out, family. We appreciate you. And uh until next time, we certainly uh love you in the building. This is your brother King Cam. Uh thank you for watching. Peace and blessings and thank assalamu alaikum. You.